All right, one, two. All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. You can talk back to me, you know. It's totally fine. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. I was going to do it again, but there's no need because I was satisfied with how many people responded back to me. But my name is Obed, and I'm one of the pastors here. Is there anything I need to do in order to fix the mic? Okay, cool. My name's Obed, and I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross Church. Um, Dan and I, um, he's not here today, but we are blessed and given the privilege and honor to be able to lead um, King's Cross Church. Um, before we get into our sermon and our study for this morning, I I have um, a special announcement for everyone. Um, we started announcing it last week, and I'm going to announce it again this week, and we're going to keep announcing it, and that is um, the last Sunday of August. We're not going to be gathering here, but we're going to be gathering for baptisms at the Bay. Awesome, yeah? Yeah. And the reason why we celebrate, it's not because we get to dunk people. Um, in the bay and San Diego is beautiful and everything, but the reason why we celebrate is baptism is an opportunity, one of the opportunities we are given as Christians to celebrate the fact that there are individuals that have, by God's grace, been saved by God, and they have been raised from death to life, and we get to celebrate that. And so, if you are here and you're a member of our church, think about two things. One of the things is definitely plan to attend, right? Because it will encourage you. But if you are here and you are a Christian and you are saved and you're part of our church and you have not been baptized, seriously consider being baptized. And the reason why we call for that, the reason why we urge you to do that is because you are commanded as a Christian, to publicly express your commitment to Jesus Christ through baptisms. And so that's what's going to be happening. Um, um, the QR code is there. We're going to be announcing it, and we might leave it on the screen at the end of the service. Um, but if you want more information about getting baptized or the above, um, you can get more information at our Connect tent, and we would be excited. We're going to be having a baptism class um, two weeks before the actual event, and that is for us to just answer your questions and give you a biblical understanding of why baptisms. I'm excited. You guys excited? I hope you are. If you have your Bible, grab it and turn to the letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, commonly known as Philippians. 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 All right, this is what happened. Last week, um, <laughs> um, we ended um, by looking at verses 12 to 16. And because of time, we weren't able to really dive deep into that particular section. And so what we're going to be doing this week is to really go back to verses 12 to 16 of chapter 3 um, in order to dive deeper and understand what God wants to share with us this morning. And so Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16, and as we always do, may you please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16 reads, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. 
but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. The reason why we pray is not because it's tradition and we have to pray, you know, at the beginning of sermons, but the reason why we pray is we recognize that we need you. We desperately need you. And as a result, we recognize that without you, we cannot hear deeply. And we cannot be empowered to live out the life you call us to. And so this morning, give us ears to hear and give us hearts that are willing to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> I may have the physique of a pro athlete. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I know I do, but in case you were wondering, I have this physique not because I run. Um, I, don't, I don't run anymore as much as I did when I was young. When I was young, I run all the time. I was soccer player, loved playing football, as they call it. I was in the track and field team. I was 200-meter champion. Um, yes, I was. Um, very proud of that achievement. 200-meter champion um, in high school. Um, loved to run, was involved in... Uh, marathons and cross-country and all of those things. And when uh, I got to the age of about 18, 19, when my soccer career was over and I was no longer fast, I kept on running. Um, this time, <laughs> I wasn't running to win a medal or a trophy, but I was running away from security. Um, I, yes, I was. I'm just confessing now. I was uh, I got into graffiti because, um, you know, I was artsy back then. And I, you know, in order to do graffiti, you've got to get spray cans, um, you know. And so what I would do is we would do, my friends and I, we would go to our local Home Depot, for example, and um, try and take spray cans without paying for them. I remember one particular, uh, <laughs> one particular, um, trying to get spray cans from a Home Depot. We call them B&Q, but Home Depot. Um, I remember walking in, grabbing as many spray cans as I can and shoving it under my top and tr attempting to walk out of the store. The security guard saw us and he screamed at us and, go, and went, oh, you guys, what are you doing? I went, what are you talking about? I turned around, he was in front of me, and I said, I have not got anything, and everything <laughs> fell out. 
in front of him. He tried to grab me. I ran. I jumped over walls, rail tracks, and I was gone. I wasn't caught. And so I don't run much anymore. Um, I did a lot when I was young. The older I get, the less I run. And this is mainly because of my knees. I've got some knee stuff going on, and I'm not able to run. But I, you know, I live in San Diego, obviously, and I see so many people running, and it looks fantastic, and I really want to do it. And I think about one day waking up with a strong desire to run, and if that ever happens, the first thing I'm going to do is go online and research how I can actually run well. Because technique matters. Whatever you do, if you do it with the right technique, you get good results. And so that is what I would do. And so for this sermon, I haven't woke up with a strong desire to run, but for this sermon, for the purpose of this sermon, I did go online and typed in some common tips on how to run well. And this is some of them. Um, they tell us, take time to walk during long runs. Okay? Um, the other is incorporate strength training. Number three is to find a running buddy, someone you like and run with them because accountability matters. Yeah? The other thing is focus on your breath and come back to a simple mantra, all right? Number five, schedule a time to run that works with your lifestyle, and last but not least, drink lots of water, okay? They are some of the best practices for running well. Our passage for today is really interesting, and the reason why it's interesting is because many of you are familiar with it, and as we read it, you probably noticed that it's based on metaphors from the world of track and field. To be specific, the metaphors are drawn from um, ancient Greek and Roman Olympic games. Most of you may be surprised, but you shouldn't be because the Apostle Paul, right, was a sports fan. And the reason I say that is because if you read his writings, you'll notice that he uses metaphors from the sporting world um, to illustrate the Christian life. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I do not box as one beat in the air. Okay, And he goes on to say, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In Ephesians chapter 6, he uses the sport of wrestling right, um, as a metaphor to help Christians understand the spiritual warfare that we are involved in. By far, Paul's favorite analogy of the Christian life in scripture is running. But for Paul, there's a race that he's running that is more important than the races that we all run, okay? And the price that we are running for is much more valuable than, let's say, a championship ring or a Super Bowl or any other trophy. It's the race of the Christian life, and the price 
is eternal life with Jesus. And so, like runners need to execute certain things to run a good race, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what you need to do as a Christian to live, um, to live well. In other words, what are some of the best practices for you as a Christian in order to be able to live well? And this passage um, reveals that to us. And so first, if you are, right, uh, if you are taking notes, um, how to, the first thing you need to do to live well as a Christian is to acknowledge you have not arrived. Acknowledge that you have not arrived. The Apostle Paul um, as some of you know, if you don't know, let me give you a brief bio of him. Um, he's regarded as one of the most influential Christian leaders of all time. Um, before he became a Christian, um, he had reached the very pinnacle of moral and religious development as a Jew. Paul was a rock star in the Jewish world. He really was. Humanly speaking, he had acquired all the religious assets that anyone could imagine. Steve Lawson, who's an amazing preacher, says this. Paul had an impressive beginning, nationality, lineage, upbringing, standard, and sincerity and morality. He was one of the most successful Jews of his time. But the sad thing is, he not only persecuted Christians, but even more sad, he trusted in his accomplishments to make him right before God. And that is what we covered last week, right? One day, what happened was Paul was on his way to a city called Damascus, and he was going there in order to persecute Christians. Um, he had been trusting in religion, tradition, and his nationality to make him right before God. But what happened was he encounters the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and this miraculous encounter radically changes his life. He became a man, right, um, who used to hate Christians and hate Jesus and hate everything about Christianity to a man who became passionate about knowing Jesus and making him known. Charles Swindle says this, his Damascus Road experience didn't pluck him from earth and place him in the foyer of the heavenly Jerusalem. Rather, it turned him from the wrong path and started him on a new journey. And so he, he gets saved and his salvation, his radical encounter with Jesus is the beginning of a journey. And this new journey for Paul was this, an ever-deepening and an ever-widening um, knowledge of Jesus Christ. On the road to Damascus, Paul had tasted the beauty, majesty, glory, and worth of Jesus, and he wanted more. And so what happened was he became obsessed with knowing Jesus, so much so that he considered all of his earthly accomplishments as garbage because of the surpassing um, worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Look how he communicates this desire to know um, in, in verse 10 of chapter Three, verse 10 and 11 of chapter 3. Look at it. He says, I, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul was so 
so desired to know Jesus. He wanted to be associated with everything about Jesus. He wanted to be associated with his um, resurrection and even his suffering. And he looked forward to um, um, Jesus coming back and him being able to relate to Jesus in a way that was without any sin or anything like that. Paul's one passion in life was to be identified with Jesus. Let me say that again. Paul's one passion and desire in life was to know Jesus and become like him. And so the question, first question I want to ask is, what is your goal in life? What is your one passion what gets you up in the morning? Paul's one passion in life was to be identified with Christ. And this passion isn't only limited to the Apostle Paul. But if you're here and you're a Christian, you are saved, yes. But your salvation should lead more and more to a passionate longing to know and become like Jesus. And so that's what Paul's thinking. One passion to know Jesus, become like Jesus. This was his goal and utmost desire in life. And then listen to this. Look at what he says in verse 12 and 13. Listen, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Stop right there, verse 12. So ever since, right, Paul became a Christian, one passion and goal in life is to know Jesus and become like Jesus. But in verse 12, this is what he admits. He confesses that he has not obtained or arrived at this goal. And then in verse 13, right, beginning of verse 13, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In today's language, this is what Paul's saying, I have not arrived. I have not arrived. I am not as awesome as you think I am. Let me remind you, okay, that these words were written by the great Apostle Paul. He's one of the most, I think, the most influential Christian leaders in human history. He was incredibly prolific to the point where the New Testament has 27 books, and we know for sure that 13 of them were written by him. No individual has shaped Christianity as much as he has. He's the architect behind famous verses like bad company, ruins good morals, or um, I died to the law so that I might live for God, or for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
he wrote one of the most well-known poems about love in 1 Corinthians 13. You guys have been to a wedding, and you've heard 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding. You have. Guess who wrote it? The Apostle Paul. Yet right here, okay, with these sentences, he says, I've not arrived. I'm still on a journey to knowing Jesus and becoming like him. He is clear that his life is a work in progress. Paul has not yet been made fully like Christ in a resurrected body and has not yet reached the point of being without sin. In other words, he's still imperfect. Just like you and I and the person sitting next to you. You have not yet arrived at perfection. None of us have or can ever reach perfection this side of heaven. But it is imperfection, these imperfections that we have that drive us onward and upward. And this is what we are going to look at next. And so, if you're making notes, when it comes to the Christian life, how can we live that well? First, we need to acknowledge, uh, you need to acknowledge you've not arrived. Second, how to live the Christian life well is to strive to know Jesus better. And so Paul, he's humbly acknowledged that he has not arrived when it comes to Christ-likeness, but what we must not overlook in these verses is that his commitment um, to knowing Jesus and becoming like Jesus remains unchanged even though he has not yet arrived. Instead of claiming to be perfect now, okay, Paul continues um, to pursue becoming more like Christ. Um, look again at verses 12 um, to see how he communicates this. He says, look, um, I, I, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, okay? I have not arrived, but I, what does he do? He, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, okay? Now, I just read that verse, verse 12, using the NIV translation of the Bible, you know, right? But I think, I think the ESV has a better translation, more clearer and sharper translation. And so the ESV reads, verse 12, the ESV reads, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to take, to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The Greek word, right, for, for, the, for the verb press is diako, okay? And it means to move rapidly and decisively after an object. The word wants you to picture a person in a race who is running swiftly um, towards the finish line. 
You can also apply this to a person who is running swiftly in order to catch, catch some person or catch someone or a thing, right? I grew up in London, and London, if you live in London, you just don't need a car. You rely on public transport to get from A to B, everywhere you want to go, okay? And what mostly happened, especially when you were trying to catch a bus, is that nine times out of ten, yeah, British transport is weird, okay? Don't quote me on that, but you can, it's fine. It's weird, and the, the thing is, nine times out of ten, you're going to miss your bus, and there were so many times when I would want to catch a bus, and I would be walking to the bus stop, and then the bus would be leaving, okay? And I'm not going to let that bus leave. I would run as far as fast as I can with all of my muscle, with all of my energy in order to get to that in order to get on that bus. And so the Apostle Paul describes himself as someone who is moving rapidly and decisively to make something his own. And so the question is, what is he doing? What is he pressing on to make his own? Jesus Christ. And why is he pressing on to possess Jesus? Why is he pressing on to make Jesus his own? To answer that question, look at the last part of um, um, the last part of, of the verse. Right, you've seen it. He says, um, "Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own." Okay, with all of my energy, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. If you're here and you are a Christian, Jesus has made you his own. Jesus has taken hold of you. Jesus endured excruciating suffering. He died a humiliating death on a Roman cross and achieved victory over death through his resurrection so that he may call you his own. So that Jesus Christ, the reigning king of the universe, may say to you, I see you. And I know your name because you belong to me. Christian, because Jesus has taken hold of you and made you his own, you should be confident that God through his spirit will sustain you until the end. Christian, you should be confident that you're securing God's love and faithfulness to you, not because you hold tightly to him, but because he holds tightly to you. Christian, you should be confident that nothing can separate you from his love and his faithfulness to you. I love um, the song by the Gettys. It's called In Christ Alone, and it's one of the most um, famous and well-known modern hymns in, you know, in our culture. And I love the lo one of the sections. It reads, listen to this. 
It reads, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Because Jesus has made you his own, Christian, because Jesus has made you his own, your goal in life should be to move rapidly and intentionally towards a deeper, fuller, wider relationship with him. That's the motivation. The motivation. Your inspiration for seeking after Jesus is because Jesus sought you and captured your heart. Your life is a response to what God has done for you in Jesus. Most of the time, when we think about pressing on, in order to gain something, we mostly think about striving for something that we don't have. All right? But in this context, Paul is talking about striving for something we already have as Christians. Listen to the verse again. I press on to make it my own, Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's talking about experiencing what we already have. If you ever want to buy me a chocolate bar, crazy transition, I know, but I'm going somewhere. (laughs) If you ever want to buy me a chocolate bar, buy me a Twix. I absolutely love Twix. Twix, tastiest chocolate bar on the market. I enjoy the awesome combination of chocolate, caramel. Okay, I'll stop, all right? They say Twix is perfect for sharing. I don't agree. (laughs) Seriously, I don't. The other day, I was craving a Twix. Looked for the nearest store I could get a Twix. Local convenience store. Pulled up. (laughs) Just craving a Twix. I walked in. No, I ran in. Right? Connects with what we're talking about. And and I ran in. I went to where all the chocolate bars are, and I couldn't see a Twix. Couldn't see a Twix anywhere. And I'm like, this is a joke. There's always a Twix in the convenience store. And I went to the guy, and I said, hey, do you have any Twix? He said, of course we do. Of course we have a Twix. So he comes to the same section. We're looking everywhere. We can't see it. And he goes, I'm sorry, but we don't have a Twix. No Twix available. It's all sold out. What are you talking about? But imagine, they say it weren't sold out. And I got my hands on a Twix. And I purchased a Twix. And I walked out with a Twix in my hand. Okay? 
I can enjoy that twist in two different ways. I can enjoy it by looking at it and saying, yes, I got a Twix. Look at it. It's shining. It's amazing. Yes, victory is mine. I can enjoy it that way, but I can also enjoy it by opening it and eating it. Buying a Twix is one thing. But eating it is a whole different experience. And this is the kind, kind of what Paul is inviting us to in Christ. Most of the time, when we talk about knowing Jesus, we talk about an intellectual experience, okay? Of knowing the history of Jesus, of knowing the acts of Jesus, and all of those things are good. We need to go deeper than that. We need to actually taste and see that Jesus is awesome. And that is the experience Paul is calling us to. And that experience of really um, tasting and seeing that Jesus is good only comes when we cry out to God and we pray, it's simple. And we say, God, every day I want to know your son. May I become consumed with the beauty and the worth and the glory of Jesus. I dare you this week to pray every day. To pray for an experience with Jesus that goes beyond knowing about him, but actually knowing him. And if you're new to Christianity, welcome. Like we're talking about experiencing Jesus, who's like you, you, you believe is a historical person that kind of passed away. But the reality is Jesus is alive. He is on his throne. He is reigning. And through um, God's spirit, we can experience a relationship with Jesus that blows our minds. It's true, it's true. Jeremy Treat, who was my pastor in LA, says, we're not called to press onto something we don't have. We're called to press onto further experience what we already have in Christ. And so if you're making notes, um, how we can live the Christian life well is to first acknowledge um, that we, we haven't arrived. Second, um, we are to strive to know Jesus better. And lastly, um, we are to forget what is behind. Forget what is behind. Look at verse 13. Um, Paul goes on to say, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Okay, let's start with some Greek. The Greek word um, from which we get the word forget here means to neglect, overlook, or care nothing about. 
okay, as we pursue a greater knowledge of Christ in order to become like him, we must resist the temptation um, to look over our shoulders at our past, okay? Um, the best runners, if you are running, what you don't want to do is look behind you because if you do, you could fall over, you could lose momentum, or you could run into a pole, right? It happens. Don't do that, okay? And so when Paul says he's forgetting what is behind, he's basically saying, I don't live in the past, okay? I don't live in the past. I don't carry around baggage from the past. And so the question is, Paul, what, is, what exactly does Paul want to forget? Okay, and Pete O'Brien helps us here. He says he will not allow either the achievements of the past, which God has brought, or for that matter, his failures as a Christian to prevent his gaze, <coughs> sorry, from being fixed firmly. <coughs> <coughs> Thank you. To be fixed firmly. Actually, you guys can read the quote. <laughs> I'm kidding. I can read it. To be fixed firmly on the finish line, in this sense, he forgets as he runs. Okay? It's important to understand this, okay, that um, Paul isn't saying your past doesn't matter. Okay? He's not saying that. Dealing with your past, especially your past wounds, is important. So Paul's not saying forget that. The point Paul is making here is to not let your past hinder you from pursuing Christ with all of your heart. The point Paul is trying to make here is to not let your past hinder you from running after Christ and pursuing him. And the reason why this is relevant for all of us is because that happens, doesn't it? This is how it happens to me. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. And once in a while, I will do or say something sinful. I will. No, I'm not sharing it with you guys. Once in a while, say or do something sinful. And how I know I am clinging on to the past and the past is hindering me from pursuing God is when that happens, I don't want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. And I don't want to fellowship with Christians. I want to isolate myself from God as if that was possible and isolate myself from fellowship with other believers. I can see a few of you guys nodding. And you know that is true, isn't it? For some of you, what's holding you back from pursuing Christ is the guilt and shame and regret of past sins. Many of you uh, are held back from sins you have committed or you're held back from sins that have been committed to you. 
what I want you to hear, not just now, but what you need to preach to yourself when your past failures and sins hinder you from pursuing God is to remember the gospel. Remember that because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on your behalf, you are forgiven. Remember that because of Jesus, your past doesn't define you. You are not defined by your past or your present, but you are defined by your Savior. You are defined by who he is and what he's done for you. And so next time you are reluctant in pursuing God, May you be reminded of the gospel. Forgetting is not easy. It's a challenge, man. It really is. And so what do you need to forget? What do you need to move on from? And what's hindering you? from pursuing God. Deal with sin by looking to Christ. And when we look to Christ, we repent, we turn from our sins and embrace him by faith as our savior. And so this morning, we've been reminded through this passage of through this passage of what it looks like for us to live well as Christians, and we've been reminded to acknowledge that we've not arrived, to strive to know Jesus better, and to forget what is behind. so that we may move forward and press on to knowing Jesus and making him famous in our city. If you've noticed, in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Christ is all over the, Christ is everywhere. And so when we take these passages and we proclaim them, Christ has to be front and center. And so whenever we gather as a church, whenever you gather with other Christians, may Jesus be exalted. May it all become about Jesus. And these are simple truths but may we actually taste this coming week may we taste of jesus in a way that radically changes how we relate to him and live for him in this city god is the only one that can do that and so we're going to transition into a time of singing and during that time you can start praying now the songs we sing teach us about who god is and what he's done 
May you sing them in faith, believing that Jesus is who he is and that he's done it and he's finished the work. And as a result, we can sing and proclaim him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. There is so much in here that we could have explored. We could take hours and days and weeks studying this section of Philippians. But God, what you've given us this morning, we trust that is sufficient because God, we believe that you can take something small and multiply it in a large way. And so multiply these truths in our lives, not so that we may have more information but so that we may become more and more in love with you. In your son's name we pray, amen.